0: All right. Open up your Bibles to John fifteen. John fifteen. So I figure I'm going to get all the crying out this morning. So my last service, it'll be a lot more. You know, keep looking up. Well, this one, it's not a. What? Oh, John fifteen. Thanks. John fifteen. Pretty familiar passage to be to many of you. Gospel of John chapter fifteen. And we'll read some of it now, and then we'll read a little bit of it in the middle of the sermon. Break it up a bit. You know what? We're going to read verses 1 to 17. Why not? Let's stand together. Verses 1 to 17. We're not going to go any further than that, so don't worry. Hear God's word to you this morning. I am the true vine, Jesus says. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life, his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, that you love one another. Let's end the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless us to our hearts and lives this morning. We may be seated. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, my friends in New City, who doesn't want to make a difference in the world? I haven't really met anybody that doesn't. I mean, especially as ministers of the gospel. I know Pete and I feel this way. Uh, who hasn't, who, which one of us hasn't asked the question, what impact has my life and ministry had? Or what difference have I made in the world God has put me in? When I was a teen, Uh, And some of you uh, probably heard this song, too, before I used to listen to the song Eleanor Rigby from the Beatles. And I'd hum along, sing along, just go in my happy, joyful way, never really listening to what in the world it was saying. Then, like I just woke up from a dream, I remember it uh, it was in, uh, when I was in upstate New York serving there, all of a sudden I actually listened to what he was saying. And I thought, what a depressing, Horrible song, this is. Right? So I'm just going to read a little bit of it because Mary said she doesn't want to cry, but she's gonna. I'm gonna try to get through this. Father McKenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night, and there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father Mackenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. Excuse me. (laughs) That, my brothers and sisters, is a gospel worker's worst nightmare. If you ever wonder what your pastor loses sleep over, it's not what you think about, it's this. And that is the worst case scenario, of course. But I would venture to say that most of us in this room can think of at least a few people that have either come to faith or started to really grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus because of our witness and our gospel service. But still, we're heartbroken when the people that we pour our lives into, maybe for years, some of us are old enough to know, for years, never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Or maybe they fall away from the faith that they professed. And those are the days where we wonder, what difference did I make? Was it all in vain? Well, if you've ever asked this question before or you're asking it now, there is good news. And hopefully I'll stop crying a little bit. And that good news is I have a word from God himself this morning. Full confidence. I could say at the end of this message, thus saith the Lord comes from John 15 which we just read and Jesus uses that great analogy of the vine and the branches to drive a super important point home to his disciples and then to us at this point just prior to his death and his resurrection and his ascension his return home to the father who sent him and this is the message we're gonna hear this morning and I pray with everything within me that you take it to heart because I'm still taking it to heart. And that's this, our impact for the kingdom, listen, you wanna pay attention to this one. It depends on two things. It depends on the father's pruning, thank God, (laughs) it depends on him. But there is a secondary thing, it also depends on the believer's remaining. Just staying. In the vine to the Father's glory. That's the message. So let's take a look at the first thing. You want your life to matter in this world, you want to bear fruit for King Jesus, the one who loved you and gave himself for you. You want to make a difference. First thing is it depends on the Father's pruning. We saw that in the text right at the beginning just gonna read the first part what's that yeah you see that thank you for that. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch that in me bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful it's a very powerful truth our Lord is telling us here he's telling us first of all he's the true vine now, I don't have time to get into all the exegesis I want to this morning, and I'm going to avoid the temptation. But what I do want you to know is, why does he say true vine? Because in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be the vine. And she failed miserably, miserably just as you and I were. And so Jesus says, that's okay, because I'm the true vine. I'm the true son. And he says something very interesting here. He says, my father is the gardener," And he says, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Now, I just want to spend a couple moments on this part. In context, we could clearly see who Jesus is referring to in this immediate context. He's referring to those who are professors, but not possessors of true saving faith. And we know that the example in this context, because there were 12. But all along, Jesus knew, of course. The others didn't. One of them wasn't. Of course, I'm referring to Judas. The one Jesus says, I have not lost any except for him. Verse 8, Jesus says this, This is to my Father's glory that you, speaking to the other disciples, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What shows that they belong to Jesus? Good fruit. Fruit that comes off the branches. Like when you go to that fig tree and it's got that big, fat, plumpy fig coming off it. Bottom line is those who bear fruit they're proving that they belong to Christ that they're in the true vine those who bear no fruit not a little fruit but no fruit prove that they don't they never belong to Christ at all this is what the text says that's the point D.A. Carson puts it this way indeed there is a persistent strand of New Testament witness that depicts men and women with some degree of connection with Jesus or the church, who nevertheless, by failing to display the grace of perseverance, finally testify, now this is such a great way of putting this, that the transforming life of Christ has never pulsated within them. Isn't that a powerful way of putting it? Now, you may remember, I thought, how do I make this simple for myself as well as for you? Well, I I went right away in my mind and heart to the parable of the sower. Remember Jesus told that another different parable? But I'm just going to read a bit of it just as a cross-reference. Jesus tells us, you know, a sower went sowing his seed. And then he says this, Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. So it sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow... When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they what? Had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A or 30 times what was sown. Note the characteristics of the good soil. Not that they all equally produced the same amount of fruit. Do you notice there was different numbers? But what did they all have in common? they produce something. Notice that? Only those who, belong, who bear fruit truly belong to Jesus ultimately. But then our Lord says something that's really good news here. As much as the other was a warning, this is an encouragement. He said every branch that does bear fruit, <laughs> he prunes. So that'll be even more fruitful. Now, if, you have, if you've ever done any gardening at all, you know that that makes absolute sense. What do you do with living branches that are bearing fruit? I know this with peach trees, I know this with fig trees, myself. Well, we prune them so that we, you know, we thin it out so that the, the, we will have, we'll give the other fruit the chance to really come to fruition and become luscious and big and sweet and juicy and beautiful. And we'll have a bumper crop if we do it right. And what Jesus is saying is that when the Father prunes us, it's in order that we might be even more fruitful. But I don't know if you've ever seen pruning or done pruning. If I was the tree, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? That's a painful process. I believe what Jesus is saying is that all of our hardships, all of our disappointments, all of our sorrows and all our trials are a part of that pruning that God's doing for his people. And of course, when we're under that knife, we question, what's going on here? I'm not seeing the fruit. I'm a bloody mess. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a tree that's been pruned, but I love this story. Some of you have heard it, but I'm going to tell it again. My brother, doesn't; he's not a professional pruner. But we have this fig tree in our backyard we grew up with as old as I am, from the motherland. Yes, it's from Italy. My uncle brought it over. And all the years growing up, I remember from that fig tree, I'd I'd sneak in after I come home from school, and you know everybody couldn't wait to pick the ripe stuff, but I'd go in and I'd start picking the ripe ones and I'd eat them before i get in. And then my mom would go out, hey, what happened to the figs? I'm like, come on, wonder what happened. Well, one year, a few years back, Uh, My brother looked at that tree and he said, man, this thing ain't doing so good. A lot, a lot of dead wood. He cut that thing back so bad. It was like this tiny stump from this big, huge tree. And he said, Sam, I don't know if it's coming back. I think I killed it. (laughs) I'll never forget that. But the amazing thing was I took pictures from uh, Tom and Don, our friends. It came back fuller. And it had an incredible bumper crop of things. Merrill Tenney writes this, the vineyards in the early spring look like a collection of barren, bleeding stumps, but in the fall they are filled with luxuriant purple grapes. As the farmer wields the pruning knife on his vines, so God cuts dead wood out from among his saints, and often cuts back the living wood so far that his methods seem cruel. That familiar, church? Or I should say feel familiar. Nevertheless, from those who have suffered the most, there often comes the most greatest fruitfulness. That really hit me. So, you see that we're crying a lot this morning. Well, one of the ways that the Lord prunes is uh, he puts the mirror up to your face. And sometimes he puts the mirror up to the face of the preacher and says, how we doing? I know you're preaching everybody. And last night was one of those nights, or I should say last yesterday, or this morning. Like Mary said to you, I'm not gonna go long on it, but we walked up, uh, Antonio, the, my uh, brother and pastor, fellow pastor in Italy, and Mary and I, and we walk up uh, in the showboat, we get up to where the security station is, right by the elevators, and there's a man planted face down with a Coke bottle and the security guard's kind of just standing over him. You can see he doesn't know what to do. And my first reaction is, come on, man, it's, it's a homeless guy. Cause we always have homeless people come in. They don't live there and then they have to be escorted out. And I'm like, you know, it's what almost two in the morning or whatever. It's one in the morning. We're exhausted. And, uh, Mary goes, looks, gives me like this dirty look. He goes, no, she rebuked me. And she puts her face down by the guy's face. And she starts talking to him. And I'm like, man, he's, he's a shyster. And she's talking to him really sweet. She's like, honey, you live here? And he's like, yes. And he's actually talking back to her like half, he's like, yes, I live here. And I'm like, really? He's talking to her? And I'm like, man, he doesn't live here. Now, come on, we gotta go, you know? And she goes, what number? 555. Five, five. And I'm, there ain't no 555. Five, five. What are you talking about? And so uh, the guy, the security guard, calls over, finds out yes, the man lives there. Now I'm about this big already. And then he goes, she goes, honey, do you have your card? The door's open. I'm like, how can the door be open? You need like a card key, a key, you know, key card to get in. I'm like, this guy's full of it. So Mary and the security guard lift the gentleman up. He's filled with excrement. Bring him into the elevator, the elevator is stench. I'm with Antonio who is eyes wide open, totally shocked. He told us later, in America this can happen? I thought this was the greatest nation. Take to the fifth, fifth floor, we get up, his door's open. <laughs> I mean, this whole story just kept getting worse and worse for me. I know it's not about me, but in a sense it was. We open up his door. I'm sorry say there was poop everywhere. And looked like all his belongings were shoved against the side of a wall. He was in a little efficiency, not even a bedroom. what do you call it a studio. And he kept saying, we kept saying, "You need to go to the hospital." He's like, "That's where I just came from. He's dying of cancer. And he was so weak he kept dropping. We, we had to keep giving him a break to pick him back up again. And then finally we prayed. Mayor said, why don't you pray for him? I'm like, yeah. At this, why lead the whole thing, why don't you? Yeah. But she needed to because uh, I needed a wake up call. I'd become cynical. I needed pruning. Bad. I was like that tree that was looking really rough. Probably still am. And uh, we went back downstairs. The security guard said amen to our prayer, by the way, which was very interesting. We go back down to our room and we could not sleep. We only had two or three hours to sleep because we had to get Antonio to the hospital, I mean to the um, airport, but Antonio was devastated. There's a song I've quoted a lot from here. Then I'll get to my second point, don't worry. Under Pressure by Queen. And I know it's always, everybody laughs, I bring that song, I'm like, how is that spiritual? And at the end of the song, it's talking about, why can't we give love another chance? Because we get tired, man. And it goes, to care for those who are on the edge of the night. There's a lot of people on the edge of the night, man. And I thought, am I the Levite? I'm just gonna walk right by that guy. And Mary said, he's a person. And I say that, believe it or not, this is an encouragement. I'm glad God showed me that. I'm glad he broke through the wall that I had put up. I didn't even realize it was there. I've become just so much like, yeah, 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 I see him all the time. And it made me think of the old, my own words of preaching to y'all. Can't outgive God. And even if he was trying to fool us, God will reward you. The good news is, God is not going to be finished with you until you look like Jesus. And if he's got to give you a situation like last night and humiliate you, thank you, Jesus. You didn't just let me go on. There's a second thing, and the only other thing I want to point out this morning in the text. It doesn't just depend on the Father's pruning, and he will do it. Thank, thankfully. But there's something else Jesus mentioned. It's not my words, it's his. It's also dependent on our remaining in Jesus look at verses 3 to 5 Jesus says you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you remain in me and I will remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me I'm the vine you are the branches If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Quick word on the first thing he says because it's vitally important. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken. Earlier in John 13, he said, you are clean, but not all of you. And then the text says, for he knew who would betray him. So the other 11, Jesus is saying, you're already clean. You are a real branch. You are in the vine. And his whole point for them is, now stay in. Stay connected. Verses 4 and 5, I want to read that again. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Our calling, brothers and sisters, above everything else is to remain in Jesus, remain in the vine. That is the main calling of this parable. Why? Because Jesus says, first of all, You can't bear fruit by yourself. Impossible. Secondly, you will bear much fruit if you remain in him. That's a promise. That's not an if, that's a when. And then the last one. (laughs) Apart from me, you can do nothing. Zeta. So then what can we do as as believers to make sure that the lyrics of Eleanor Rigby aren't our epitaph? They're not written on our tombstone. Jesus tells us, remain in him. So really, what's really, I love it when sometimes the Lord just boils it down for dummies like me. And he says, you got one job. You know, like I've told you before, it's like these people that write down the death certificates and birth certificates in Italy, and it's illegible. I go to Italian experts, and they go, boo. And all I can think of is, dude, you had one job. That's like your profession is to write down this information and nobody can read it. Well, Jesus tells us our one job is to remain in the vine. It's to, as other translations have put it, abide in Christ. And I wanted to say this, and I know sometimes things get misunderstood, but I'm going to say it anywhere. Your job is not to bear fruit. Hmm. Maybe that'll wake you up. Maybe you could call my presbytery. Your job is not to carry out the mission. Ooh. A little provocative there. Listen, your job is not even to glorify God. Ooh. Come on now. How's he going to get out of this one? Your job is to abide in Christ because the only way you're doing any of those other things is if you're abiding in Christ. If you're not remaining in him, good luck with that. Jesus already told you, failure, F. This is so important to grasp. We have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to remain in Christ, right? What does it mean, oh, I've heard, abide in Christ? The secret to the Christian life is abide in Christ. Well, let's be honest. What the heck does that mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean put your hands up and go, mm, I'm abiding in Christ. It doesn't mean that. Nor does it mean some specific way to pray where you get in line. A prayer is a part of it, but that's not what it means. i will be pretty bold here. Let me tell you why, because it's, it's cheating. Verses 9 to 10, Jesus tells us what it is. Didn't know that, did you? So you read all these commentaries, and everyone has a different... Ver- just keep reading the text. How many times have I told you? Verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Whoa, what's the key here to understanding what remaining in Christ um, looks like? It it, it involves remaining in his love. And how do we remain in Jesus' love? For some of us, it's gonna be shocking. But the way we remain in Jesus' love is by obeying his word. That's what he says. So it's not some mystical tapping into Christ's power through prayer and meditation. It's it's remaining in Christ involves obeying his command to love God, love neighbors, your neighbor, make disciples of all nations, to remain in his word. You remember the Great Commission, the part that we don't talk about a lot? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Obedience is a beautiful thing. Jesus says, just as I remain in my Father's love, read the Gospels, he obeyed the Father. To the point of, he didn't eat sometimes, he didn't do whatever, because he said, my my food is to do the will. If you want to know where Jesus is bringing you, if you're his, that's where he's bringing you. That your food would be to do the will. See, before the fall, everything in all creation did the will, joyfully. The fall screwed that up. There would be no fall. There would be no man laying on the the filthy floor of my apartment building. Leon Morris writes this. This is not some mystical experience. It is simple obedience. It is when we keep Christ's commandments that we abide in his love. Just as he kept the father's commandments and thus abides continually in the father's love. As we continue hearing and heeding the words of Jesus, we will remain in him, and he promises he will remain in us. And notice the result of this mutual remaining in one another. We will bear much fruit for God's glory. So he says in verse eight, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Listen, of course, Jesus is not saying Uh, we need to obey his commands in order to make God love us. We already know that. He's not saying obey my commands and then I will clean you. He already said what? You're already clean. No. And he's not saying we have to toast some perfect line to maintain his love. All you got to do is look at the disciples. They were a hot mess. But I'll tell you what the one thing they all did. Listen, there's one thing they all did, did. By the grace of God, of course they stayed with Jesus. Other than when he was crucified in in accordance with his his, uh, prophetic uttering that they scattered. Once they got back, they stayed. And all of them died for him except one. And him, he stayed faithful, but. Jesus is simply saying to us, stay with me. Continue in my word. Continue to heed my commands. Especially to love one another. Now listen. This is important stuff as I I come closer to the end here. What's the best way to get a grasp of this? What's the best way to, to, to wrap your heart around it, not just your mind? It's verse 12. Let's take a look at verse 12. Or verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Question I want you to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, are you Jesus's friend? I'm not asking if you're a perfect Christian. I'm just asking a simple question. Are you his friend? Not acquaintance, not fan, but friend. Because you know, when I was a baby, baby Christian, somebody once said this to me, and it's still true, it's really about a relationship. True, it's a religion, Christianity, but it's more about a relationship. It always boils down to this. If you say Jesus is your friend, but you ignore his words, you make absolutely no attempt to love his other children, You go around telling everybody, oh yeah, Jesus is my best friend. And yet your life has no evidence of that. Jesus is clearly saying, don't deceive yourself. You don't know me very well. So Mayor had that nice surprise for me. Antonio was in Philly and we picked him up for our party last night. But we have two of our friends Betsy and Heather, they live in Philly, and they they write me this text, listen, this is crazy. Oh, we have a great surprise for you in Philly. And we had just been in Philly, and it's the day before my party, and I have to preach. And I'm thinking in my head, oh, lovely. And I didn't want to disappoint them, didn't want to disappoint my wife, and it was the perfect setup. So, of course, um, I said, oh yeah, this'll be great, I'll go. But you know what I was actually thinking? Listen, I was thinking, I was a little disappointed. I thought they knew me better. <laughs> if they knew me, they know I don't wanna go to no Philly. I'm not a big, let's go to the city, and see this museum and see this statue. It's just like. Poof. Or my favorite one is uh, Dave Cohen always loves to tell this story. And, and I know some, a lot of people mess up my name, so don't be offended. But one time he said there's this person that came on a trip you know, for either disaster relief or one of the teams. And they said to Dave, oh yeah, me and Santos, we're real close, we're good friends. And you already know where I'm going with this. And Dave said he laughed. Because he's like, if you really knew Santos, you knew his name ate Santos, and he doesn't, he doesn't. So I know, it's all right. But so, that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't, don't talk about being my friend. And yet having a lifestyle where you completely ignore my word, it has no place in your life. those who remain in the vine, Jesus says, will bear much fruit and glorify God. That's the joy of remaining. Your life will never be a waste. Never, ever. It's not how many people you think Jesus is counting. think get some kind of competition. I think sometimes it's more, how many people did you slow down, stop, and touch? You know what's incredible about the Gospels? When you see how Jesus reacted to people, it usually says he stopped, he looked at them. We don't stop there and realize he looked at them. Not through them, not past them. And he had compassion. That's a pattern for our Lord. And if we're abiding in him, we're remaining in him, that life of Jesus is flowing out. Jesus touched that man last night. It wasn't through me. It wasn't through Antonia. It was through Mary. And it was the simplest. She saw I didn't see him. And I say that, I know I'm mixing passages here, but you remember the sheep and the goats, right? When I was hungry, he gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, he gave me a drink. And the thing about the righteous, they say, when? They can't even think of a time that happened. But here's the thing I want to point out about it for our purposes this morning. Jesus never forgot. He said that was me. Jesus was on my floor yesterday morning. Amen? Calvin once said this about this passage. Whenever we seem to be working in vain, let us remember that Christ will at last prevent our efforts from being worthless or useless for this promise is especially opportune when no fruit appears our modern wits and those who seem wise in the world ridicule our efforts for the fruit does not yet match our wishes You with me but since Christ on the other hand has promised that the reward of the work, though hidden for a while, will follow. Let us labor diligently to do our duty amidst the ridiculing world. Our call is not to entertain crowds. It's to share the good news of Jesus in word and deed with the hurting all around us no matter what race, no matter what color, no matter what socioeconomic level. I'm gonna give you a little encouragement as a church as I close. I need to hear it, especially after the convicting night I had. This is all about you, not me. Sitting on the beach, with a couple that I really felt like didn't have much impact on at all. And the wife turns to me and goes, thank you. Before new city fellowship came along, my husband never admitted he was wrong. He never asked for forgiveness. Thank you. Fruit. had another person who lived here for a while and then had to move away for work. It's our story here. They said being a part of this church was life changing. And it was a very introverted, quiet person. That's fruit, a little glimpse of fruit. This week here, on this UMT trip, changed the trajectory of my life, a young man said. Fruit. Picking up an old man, when everybody else stepped over him. Honoring his dignity. That's fruit. Having a retirement party for a precious child of God who came up and lamented to me. I didn't have the party by the way, somebody else did the party for him. Who lamented to me, he had a retirement party after 27 years of working as a janitor in a school and one of his co-workers showed up. And to see after that party, this young, this man, not young, he's probably about my age or so, but not too young, was beaming, because we remembered him. That's fruit. If you're a friend of Jesus, a living branch in the living vine, constantly tended to by the Father, to ensure greater faithfulness faithfulness you will never have to worry about the awful words no one was saved I promise you people will be saved even if you don't see it in this life you don't have to just like the people who are gonna say when Lord when did this and when we do hear about fruit God doesn't want us to get these big fat heads mine's already a little too big when I get pictures and stuff I'm always I get some big head <laughs> So he shows us just enough to give us a little encouragement sometimes. But he doesn't want us to get too big on ourselves because we're just the branches. The lifeblood has come from him. And we're privileged. And I want to close with, with, with these words because it's all based on this. This whole vine, the branches, would mean nothing if it wasn't for this. Greater love has no one than this than that he, he laid down his life for his friends. And you know what's cool about being a friend? You know the old saying, family you're stuck with. But you know how much Jesus loved you? He chose you to be his friend. He wasn't stuck with you. He looked at you with all your warts, all your messed upness, all your stubbornness, all your, how long will I be with you? And he said, I choose you to be my friend. And he chose you to the beautiful end of bearing fruit for God and giving him all the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you That you continue to work in our midst, in our own lives, in our church's life, in the life of our community, even through the brokenness and the sorrow and the sadness and the tragedy, Jesus who died will be satisfied. And you will bring every last one of your chosen friends home. And Lord, while we're here, and when we think that it's we're getting nowhere, Father, remind us of the promise of Jesus that he chose us to go and bear fruit, not just any old fruit, but fruit that will go into eternity. It's in his name we pray with thanksgiving in our hearts. Amen.